We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. God bless you. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your guest host, Sean McKenzie, and so pleased to have you join us once again. Rick Cromie, he is somebody that we've been excited to welcome to the program. I love how his bio says he's a speaker, he's an author, he's also somebody who talks to people as a deep interest in people and how humans are motivated. And when I read that, I said, yes, looking forward to talking to him and watching baseball and riding his motorcycle. Dr. Rick Cromie is our guest on Refuge Freedom Stories. Rick, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, thank you, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here and share with your listening audience all across Canada, United States, and even the world tonight, I hear. It is. It's beautiful how we started this podcast just a little over a year ago, and so we're being listened to like some 20-some countries right now. It's it's awesome how God can just take a small little thing and make it his own, and that's what we feel he's done here. That's what he's done with my life. I'm just a little small thing that he's done something big with, I suppose. That's you know? a beautiful <laughs> part of all of our stories, isn't it? And that's where I'd like to start. We'd like to start talking about real lives changed by the power of God. And so let's delve into that to start as our dive off point about where, Rick, you came to faith. And, and I'm sure your journey's like everybody else. We've had some rocky roads along the way. Let's talk your faith journey to kind of give them some encouragement. Well, I actually grew up in the church. I think the third person that actually held me, if I recall correctly, the story was my preacher. It was my mother, my grandmother, and the preacher. And uh, they prayed a prayer over my life that I would know God and that I would find faith in Jesus. And that certainly did happen. I I grew up definitely in the back pew and uh, being a part of that church and did everything as far as religion would go and my Christian faith would go. But to be honest with you, I spent a lot of years, especially um, when I turned 12, because when I was 12, my, my mother decided to literally walk out. She was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And I came home from school that day and she literally had abandoned the family. We had no idea where she was at, and that sent me on a different journey. Even though I still had faith, I was literally eating up from the inside out because I had an anger and a hate, and I didn't understand why she did what she did, and she just blew up the family, and and then she got remarried to another guy. I had no idea. You know, she ran off with her lover, and I didn't even know that initially, but uh, long story short was I spent a long time dealing with my mom, and my dad was no better. I mean, at the time, I grew up ADD absent dad disorder because he, he was a trucker and he was only home on the weekends. And a lot of times when he was home, 
you know, he didn't pay particular attention to me. I didn't have a, a real strong emotional connection with dad and never heard the words, I love you. And he didn't go to church. My father didn't. So there was that disconnect as well. And, you know, she left. My, my mom left and my dad. I just didn't have anybody except for my grandparents on my mom's side and moved in with them. They, they instead of farming us out to foster care, my mom's uh, parents took us in and raised us. And my youngest sister at the time was just a baby. She literally grew up with them, knowing them as mama and papa. Uh, I knew them as grandpa and grandma, but they raised four kids. I was the oldest, 12 at the time. And from there, I mean, my faith journey went off to Bible college and became a pastor. And did, I mean, just I did all the things that you society tells you to do to be successful. And I was successful. I wrote my first book when I was 25. And started traveling around speaking and writing. And I was very successful in my youth ministries and my pastorates. And eventually at 28 years of age, I was a professor of ministry at a Christian college. And you know, I, I just got my doctorate here in my, in my 40s. And long story short was when I hit 50, you know, I, I'd been married for 30 years and I had my doctorate and suddenly the wheels came off my career, the Great Recession, and I, I lost everything, literally, in a matter of just a few years. First, my job and my career, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't get hired. I was overeducated and too old by, by many respects. I was also the wrong, you know, there was always something wrong. I just couldn't, I was one of those guys that couldn't find a job. And that wasn't the way it used to be. I mean, people were coming, you know, the phone was always ringing with different things for me. That was a hard season. And then in 2013, when my ex-wife, she literally walked out the door after 30 years of marriage, that was the kicker. And I had struggled already for years with some men's integrity issues. And there was a dissension into a darkness. You know, it was a dark chapter of my life. I spent about a year sorting it out. But the grace of Christ was still shining in that darkness. And that's kind of where my story starts to turn. Because about a year later, I met a lovely woman on online named Linda and we fell in love and instantly found a connection and she literally is my best friend in life and we've been married now well coming up on seven years uh, we've known each other for seven years but then this will be our big number seven and I was thousands tens of thousands of dollars in debt and I literally I owe no man a dime today through different circumstances of life and just wonderful blessings by God unbelievable unexpected blessings I'm totally debt free and you know I don't deserve that I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I go on shows like yours. I start talking about my story and I shake my head going, does anybody even believe this? And if I had lived it, I wouldn't believe it. But there's a lot more I could unpack from there. But I'll just give you one last thing that to kind of wrap this up. Because my mom and I, we had this continual battle my entire life. When I got in my 20s, I realized as a pastor, I couldn't hate her. You know, that wouldn't be a right thing to do to hate your mother. And so I told her, I said, well, mom, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to hate you. I'm going to treat you like a Christian should. I'll take care of you and I'll be nice to you and I'll be what I think Jesus should be to you. But there's one thing you will not hear from me as a son. You will not hear me say the words, I love you. And, you know, she wanted to hear that more than anything, because when we started to get back together, she wanted to have that. That was the final reconciliation of that relationship. And I knew that that was the one thing that was the pain for her. I could keep jabbing the knife in her back with that by withholding my love. And when I turned 50 and was struggling with my men's integrity issues and addictions and different things like that, I went through a self-help group or excuse me, a recovery group. And I had to do the amendment phase and it came face to face with, I had to make things right with my mom. And I called her up on Mother's Day. I think this was 20, 2015. And I said, mom, I'm going to give you a gift for Mother's Day you've been waiting for. 
for for, for probably 25, 30 years now. And I just want you to know that, first of all, I forgive you for what you did. And I want you to know that I love you. And it was just like the chains melted off of me. And my life, just, everything just kind of, it was, it was the strangest thing. It was just like what was once ice hard, rock hard, ice cold, just simply melted away. And we had a wonderful conversation. And why that's so important to me was a year later, she passed away. And the last words we exchanged in this life before she left was, she said, I love you, son. And I said, I love you too, mom. And I'll see you later. Wow. And, you know, that's my story. And I've learned to just to live grace, Sean. I've just learned to live grace. It, it just means it's my favorite word. It's a word I don't understand, but it's my refugee freedom story. It is, isn't it? It's, I know for myself, I went through my own addiction phase, and I'm very thankful to this very day of being part of a Celebrate Recovery and, and being the Nova Scotia rep for Celebrate Recovery for many years because I didn't like doing that amendment phase either. So just, just to get that out there, but I know it certainly leads to a lot of freedom. Rick, a lot of people who listen to to our show and the people that we minister to have been people who've been incarcerated and have had some difficulties. You speak to them as well. Sometimes they're called the forgotten set, but your message can also help them understand that we are not forgotten people, though the things we may do may be things that don't encourage people, but we are not forgotten people. And I like how you talk about in your bio, it says we can create transformative change in homeschools and at work with the work that you do. Can you unpack that a little bit for me? How transformative change is possible? Well, first of all, I want to say to those who are behind bars or incarcerated right now, my heart goes out to you. I've had the opportunity. I lived for a while in Leavenworth, Kansas, which is the home of seven different penitentiaries, including the federal penitentiary. And I've been inside several prisons and I've had wardens. I had a warden at one of my churches and he took me down inside Kansas State Penitentiary there in Lansing, Kansas. And I've got to tell you, he went down into a place, it was called The Hole, and he had to do that every single day. And he walked into that hole and he had to just go 60 feet down and come back. And it was hell. I mean, he told me, you don't come in. You guys just stay here. Watch me. I'll go down. And I'll come back because it's part of my job. They threw feces on him. They spit at him. They threw whatever food they had on him. It was my definition of hell on earth. And when he got back, you know, I just said, how can you do this type of work? And he says, because if I don't do it in the name of Christ, no one else will. Mm. He says, I do this in the name of Christ. I have to be a light. And I thought, you know what? That's what I want to do. And I've had opportunity now to be in a number of different prisons over the years. And I have found more grace, more love, more Christianity inside the prisons than I've often experienced at churches outside the prisons. And you find a lot of good church Christian people inside prison. So if you're listening right now from a cell, you've got people on the outside who love you and they, they care about you. And, uh, you know, just, just know that God is not leaving you alone. Now, as far as transformative change goes, I think that's an inside job. Mm-hmm. You know, as a pastor, I have to tell you, I really believe in the Holy Spirit working inside of a person. And you can go to church all your life and not have the Holy Spirit in your life. And so for me, it's transformative. It's a working of the Holy Spirit. And for me, I can only talk about my own life. I did everything religious that you could do. You know, I, I got, I remember I, you know, I, I believe people say, when's the first time you ever believed in Jesus? Because, you know, believing in Jesus, that's what 
transforms you. And I'm going, you know, I believe in Jesus from the very moment I was born. I mean, I, I can't remember the first time I, I believed in Jesus. I've always believed in Jesus. Well, when's the first time that you repented of your sin? Well, you know, ever since I did something wrong, I was sorry for it. And I was saying I wouldn't do it again. I, I have no idea. Well, you know, were you baptized? And I said, well, I was dunked. When I was 14, they threw me in a tank. But that was because I wanted to please my grandmother and get the preacher off my back. And, you know, in that little church, in order to take communion, you actually had to, or the Lord's Supper, you had to get uh, baptized. That was part of their beliefs. And, you know, I got baptized for all the wrong reasons. Well, when I was 28 years of age, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel that grace. And I didn't feel, I actually didn't feel saved. And I was sitting in a graduate school class. Uh, it was a, a theology class on the doctrine of grace. And we were reading the book of Romans as part of this class. And I had like a Martin Luther experience where suddenly the light of God dawned upon me. And I, I went to my professor. And I said, I'm really struggling with my salvation here. And, and I'm reading chapter six, where it talks about how when we are baptized in Christ, we literally are united with his death and raised to walk in a new life. I said, I never felt that. And he said, tell me about your baptism. And I told him all the things I just told you. And he says, well, maybe you got baptized, you got dunked in water, but have you been immersed into Jesus Christ? Mm. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, I, I talk about how important baptism is, but for my story, I went home that night and I said, well, not that night, but the very chance I got home because I was on a, a trip away at that point at a different school. But by the time I got home, I had my wife meet me at the baptistry and she baptized me into Christ. And my life has never been the same since. It is so beautiful, so beautiful to hear. My guest on Refuge Freedom Stories, Dr. Rick Cromie, he is the founder and president of MANA Educational Services International, and you work with leaders, teachers, pastors, parents. I love the line in your bio that talks about for teachers and parents, you often speak about why kids misbehave and the approach of proactive discipline. Sometimes we know people will act out. I know I acted out as a teen, and I spent many times in the principal's office for that misbehaving. But what do you tell parents? Because they're, they're trying to figure out whether little Johnny or little Susie are, are misbehaving. So what, what kind of message do you bring to them that also gives them a little bit of hope? Well, that's a whole other podcast. We may have to tune in to a different uh, show for that one there, Sean. You're, you're asking a lot. You know, I'm a professor, you know, when I start talking on something, it can take me hours to unpack it. I, I tell you, that particular uh, white, white kids really misbehave. I point to uh, just use a metaphor. We're either fire extinguishers or we're smoke detectors when it comes to how we discipline our children. Mm. And what I mean by that is we're either proactive or we're reactive. And if you want to be proactive, you learn to be a smoke detector and know why they're going to misbehave. So then you can actually shut down misbehavior before it happens. And with the exception of special needs children, the majority of kids out there, there are only three primary reasons why a child misbehaves. They're either having belonging issues, they don't feel like they're fitting in, they're disconnected in some way that they're just not connecting, you know, in, in the family. Let's just talk family. Another reason, second reason is just they're bored. They're flat out bored. You know, their attention span is spent. And third, it's beliefs. You know, I, I was one of those bad kids, too, because by the time I got to be 12 years of age, you know, most people looked at me as a problem child. They looked at me as someone who was going to act up. And so I acted up and acted out to the degree. I mean, if you set the bar low for a human being, we learn how to jump under it. And that was me. So our beliefs can often dictate, especially with preteens and adolescents, they can dictate uh, how we act. So boredom, belonging and beliefs. Those are the three reasons. And a lot with of the predominant, yeah. the predominant one is, is belonging, though. 
Exactly, because we we talked before we started the interview, sometimes isolation, and the last couple of years has taught us a lot, unfortunately, about isolation. Isolation does really change a person, and it does cause so many problems in our society today. Right. In fact, when I unpack this and teach this uh, session, when we do the belonging, I talk about how you know a very common parenting technique is timeouts and how useless they are, because if it's a belonging issue, if a human being is picking out because they don't feel like they're belonging and we put them in timeout, that's actually throwing gas on the fire. You're not actually fixing the issue. You're exasperating it because they want a hug at that point. They want to feel like they're a part. When we look at our, our lives, you look at your life trajectory. Would you have imagined in your growing up stage that you would be where you are? Because we like to t- give people encouragement that sometimes we fall into things and we, we fall into trouble. But God has a different plan where he can take our messes and turn them into some of our best messages. How would you answer or react to that? I had no idea that I would be. In fact, I can tell you, I go back to my home church sometimes and I think the old ones that knew me when I was a kid, a lot of them are gone now, but I think the ones that knew me back in the day, they just shake their head. Really? You're a professor. You're a doctor. Even this people, I, I have a gal in my life group who, uh, you know, she, she went to school with me. We graduated together and she was one of these really smart kids. I, you know, I, and and I, I, that wasn't me. I was your average kid. I got C's in high school, unless it was art class or acting class or speaking, speech and drama, you know, a PE, you know, those type of things. I, I always did real well writing, journalism, those type of skills. And that's became who I, I became, you know, God was building in me. I was never an intellectual. I never viewed myself as an intellectual. It wasn't until I went to college and I had professors in college that turned me around and got me thinking a different way. And I realized, first of all, I had an amazing ability to remember facts. I could just remember facts and, you know, I could remember a story. I would hear a story and I could, if I repeat it, I would just remember it. And I started, in fact, in college, I was doing rock music seminars, going around the country, talking about rock music. And at that point, it was a big thing to do that back in the 80s. There was rock music seminars and I was one of those guys, but it was how I worked my way through college. Anyway, it wasn't until I got done with college, I realized I need to go to grad school. And I went to grad school and suddenly learned that I was smarter than I thought I was. I could hang with these intellectuals. And then I went in, I started teaching. And eventually I'm hanging around PhDs and, you know, EDDs and all these other alphabet names of smart guys with crazy letters after their names. And I realized I needed to get my doctorate as well to continue my career as a professor. And so I did. And I finished my doctorate in three years. And to this day, I'm, I'm surprised. A lot of my cohort never even finished. But for me, it's all about don't give up on yourself. Believe in yourself, even if no one else believes in you. You know, you're smarter than you think you are. You can go further than you think you can go. You can, you'll be the first one in the door and the last one out of the place. I've always said I'm the smallest guy. I'm, I'm five foot four. I'm not a big guy, but I played defensive end in high school football in America. I mean, American football. And nobody puts a five foot four kid on the defensive line in, in American football. Nobody does, but I did. In fact, I still think I'm the smallest defensive end to ever play in the history of Montana football. You know? <laughs> Well, small and mighty, I guess. And our final couple of minutes, Rick, I'm, I'm going to I'm just going to turn the platform over to you. What is the message for people who are feeling like, ah, I don't know if I got it in me to continue? How would you talk to that person to say, you know, we need to move forward. And uh, a lot of people are feeling like this has just been such a long haul. They don't know how they're moving forward. Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say I've been there in many ways. I'm still there. I've not had a full-time job since 2007. Was that 14 years? 
Yeah. yeah. I've not been paid what I'm worth, you know, for almost 20 years. And that's the problem is we tend to value, at least in America, we do, but I think Canada is the same way in many parts of the world, especially the Western civilized world. We tend to value things that make us feel comfortable and pleasing. They, they, they make us happy. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, we make gods out of those things. You know, we make gods out of the pleasure and now the comforts. And we look at our, our IRAs, our retirement accounts and our bank accounts, and, and those become secure places for us. And, and so when the world gets shook up like it has during COVID and everything gets turned upside down and we're going, oh, my goodness, I don't have it. I don't have anything left. All I'm saying is hang on, hang on, trust God, put your faith there, knowing that that he will not let his children down. I really believe that he will not let his children down and he's there. And I tell you what, I've gone through a lot in my life and I've had moments where I thought, you know, I literally 2013, I was getting food at a food kitchen. It was so bad. I was so broke that when I lost my job, when, when, that, when my ex-wife walked out on me, the church where I was working at fired me because they couldn't have a pastor on staff who was going through a divorce. That was my rent check that year. I, I mean, I I lost 30% of my income literally overnight. Schools where I once taught at wouldn't let me teach anymore. These Christian colleges because of my divorce. You know, I still have people that will not hire me because I was divorced. Even though I'm happily remarried seven years, there are churches out there that still won't hire me because I'm divorced. You know what? It doesn't matter. If you focus on what isn't, you're always going to be disappointed. Even if you focus on what is, sometimes you're going to be disappointed. Put your eyes forward. Look at what God can do. Trust that he will be faithful to you and he will give you what you need. And sometimes he'll even give you what you want, but trust him to give you what you need. And a lot of times the problem is, is that we want more. We keep wanting more. And God is saying, be content with what I've given you, and then maybe I'll give you a little bit more. But if you can be content first, then the other things tend to come. Rick, once again, it's been a pleasure having you as a guest today. And blessings, brother. And thank you very much for being a guest here. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. And again, if you want more information about Rick and what he does, you can go to rickcromie.com.
hope that you have enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.